Well, welcome, welcome back. Third row, RC row, welcome back from camp. Those are awesome testimonies, what God does there. Uh, Nate used to be on that crew way back when. They used to oversee the youth go up there. I was, I was reminiscing. Like, Anthony and Amanda were looking for kids. I just had flashbacks of the madness that used to go down in Stevens, Pennsylvania. But it's awesome to see God move each and every year. Um, but I want to welcome you guys back. We've been in a series called Road Rules talking about the principles of the path as we follow Jesus and follow God. We got a nice little break last week as Sharon Thomas came, and she shared from Psalm 72, and she's got such a gift for pulling out truth from God's words. It was an amazing word, so podcast that. If you didn't hear it, go back to it because it was that good. But I'm back, and we're back in this series, Road Rules, and we're on road rule number three. And if you take notes, you can put down uh, the middle of nowhere. It's the sermon title. And if you got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. 26 through 39. But we've been giving out Wawa gift cards this series. And I was talking to Brian Vogel because all these people, you know, one of the reasons we're in this series is people are on the road making trips, driving across the country, going on vacation. They're about to drive to Texas. So... Here is a, a Wawa gift card. Fill your tank, fill your stomach, whatever you like with that. It's good to have you guys with us. But we are in this series because it is. It's time for vacations. It's a time for traveling. It's a time for going a little bit of here, there, and everywhere with our families, with our kids as they have time off from school. It's just that time of year. But whether you're flying, driving, cruising, however you're getting to your vacation spot or just some destination of any sort, we're going through this series so you can take these truths with you. Kind of like in Deuteronomy when Moses talked about, hey, talk about these things when you're on the road. I want us to be able to reflect on these truths as we go to Texas, to Maine, to all these different places we go to. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book and we've referenced the title because it's a telling title and it speaks to the journey we're on as believers. It's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And in that book, he said everything in the gospel is livable. That my task was to get it lived. He said this was going to take some time, so I settled in for the long haul. Speaks to this idea that us following Christ, it's a journey. It's a road we set out on, and it sometimes is the long haul. It's a journey of transformation, sometimes not physically, sometimes our zip code never changes, but our heart, our spirit is supposed to grow, mature as we follow Christ. We've looked at Isaiah 48, 17, where it says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. It says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. And then Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This idea of paths, this idea of roadways and following Christ is important, I believe, for us to hold on to. Because sometimes in the church, sometimes as individuals, we can begin to picture salvation as, as solely about position. And that's important. What I mean is you look at justification, right? You're under the blood of Jesus. You've been saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's made you holy under his blood. When God sees you, he sees his son and his righteousness, and that's attributed through us through the cross. And that's powerful, and we should never forget that. But we're not just called to position. We're also called to a process, what's called sanctification, the journey of looking more like Jesus Christ every day. And that is a lifelong journey. I'm not going to arrive at that this side of the grave. That, like Eugene Peterson said, is a long haul. And that's why road rule number one we talked about a few weeks ago was break the circuit. 
Because when Hebrews and the Bible talks about running this race, it's not a circuit track where you just go in circles over and over and over again. We're not called to live uh, one-year-old faith over and over again. We're called to progress and mature as we follow Christ from point to point. There's circuit races. There's point-to-point races. Rule number one was break the circuit. Our life as a Christian, it's about a journey. Not just the destination. It's also about the journey. You know, I explained every week, basically, that my dad was a carpenter. Blue-collar job. Right? Our, our escapes in the summer were were not cruises or resorts. Usually it was, we're going to go drive, visit your grandparents in Naples, Florida, or outside of Chicago, Illinois. Those are not short drives. And <laughs> we would hop in the Dodge Caravan and just take off. And those were, again, long drives. 16-hour drive to my grandmother outside of Chicago. And for the first time, when I was in my uh, early 20s, I actually made the drive myself. We were driving to my grandmother's funeral, and I was driving the a rental van this time, not the busted old Dodge Caravan, but I was driving, making this drive to right outside of Chicago, Illinois, and anybody in here from Ohio? All right, Kathleen, we're, we're close enough friends where hopefully you won't take offense at this. You're driving through Ohio, and, and I swear there were just hours, hours where you look around, it's just horizon. It's not Virginia where there's hills or mountains. There are no cities in Ohio. There's no skylines. Literally, it felt like hours. I'm just looking around like there is nothing. This is a forsaken land. This is the middle of nowhere. And I was like, I cannot wait to get to Chicago and just get to my destination because this feels like the middle of nowhere. Anybody ever driven, maybe not through Ohio, but through similar conditions where you're like, man, where am I anymore? (laughs) But we got there, and my grandmother, she went to a, a Lutheran church, about the size of this one. And I remember the pastor sharing how she would often come to church. And one of her favorite verses that she would often reference, she was quirky. And one of her favorite re- verses she would reference is she would tell the pastor, hey, the clouds are the dust on God's feet. And that's from the Old Testament prophet Nahum in chapter 1 where he says the clouds are the dust of God's feet. And she would say, God's always present where you see clouds. And I, let me be serious. I, at that point, I read through the Bible a few times. That verse had never stuck out to me, right? That verse is not one I was like, oh, I should memorize that. But that was like her favorite verse. And I didn't know that. And I remember driving back through Ohio, once again, through the middle of seeming nowhere, and looking up and being like, God's here. Right? Even here in the middle of nowhere, God's present. God's here. He's here with me, no matter where we are. And that leads me to road rule number three, which we'll talk about tonight. And it has to do with the middle of nowhere, and it's simply don't neglect the middle of nowhere. Because people in life can be usually divided into two groups. There's those that are in it to reach the goal. They're always focused on the destination or where we're headed, what the, what the goal is. And then you'll see those that are content to do what's needed daily and really just enjoy the journey. We see it in personalities as some people are really into their goals and their plans and others drift day to day. They're they're here to enjoy the ride. My older sister, she was two years older than me, the firstborn. She was about some plans and goals. She was type A. She was organized, administrative. She graduated from William & Mary with basically a 4.0, right? And I followed her through high school and then I followed her through William & Mary. And the teachers would be like, oh, I remember your sister. You must be like her. No. (laughs) As my mom used to say, I flew by the seat of my pants. I was in it for the ride. 
I got good grades. I, I, I worked hard, but I didn't think much further than 24 hours down the line. And as I grew older, I learned that, that there's value in setting goals. There's value in vision for your life and making plans to get there. But I've, I've also learned that to make life about one or the other, make it all about the destination and getting to your goals, or to make it, oh, I'm just going to enjoy the journey, it's a false choice. It's a dumb dichotomy. Your life can be big enough for both. Both attitudes are good. And I would say it's when you're confident in your destination and how you're going to get there that you're free to enjoy the journey in new ways. When I actually had a five-year plan, right, and knew what I was doing with my life and what my major was going to be, I was able to enjoy the journey in new ways. I would say our culture. If it has one focus it leans toward, it's to get to our goals with speed and convenience. We're conditioned to choose the fastest route, and when there's shortcuts available, take it, right? Slow, boring, hard, risky. Those are qualities that are typically less than ideal. Just get us the quickest course from A to B, where I need to get to. But I would say we need to redeem those seasons in life where we feel like we're in the proverbial nowhere of Ohio, <laughs> the middle of nowhere, the in-between, the, while we're still on our way, especially spiritually. And I would argue that spiritually, practically, throughout life, again, when you're confident in getting to your destination, you can find new purpose, you can find joy in the journey, even when it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. What am I talking about? Well, let's look at the greatest example we have in the history of everything, Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. He knew his purpose. He knew his destination in life. It defined everything he did. When he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, God sent his son to save the world through him. Jesus knew that the, at the end of his life, he was going to make it to Jerusalem. And Jesus knew that outside of Jerusalem, he was going to hang on a cross. He reminded his disciples of this again and again. And it says in Luke chapter 9, Early in the Gospel of Luke, says that Jesus resolutely set out for his destination. It says he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Yet it takes a long time, many chapters in Luke for him to get there. Chapters that include interactions like this one in Luke 17, 11, where it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village, or as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And how many people in our culture, often ourselves included, when we're behind the wheel, just trying to get from point A to point B, and we pass somebody with a cardboard sign looking for help, looking for pity, looking for a handout, we think, ah, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible without any curveballs and we keep it moving. But where we see these moments as possible interruptions in our journey, Jesus saw these moments as opportunities, opportunities for ministry. Jesus again and again in the Gospels, he finds purpose between destinations. Over a dozen times in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was, quote, on his way from fill in the blank to fill in the blank when he had these interactions that were so significant and supernatural that they went down in scripture eternally. All while he was on his way between point A and point B. Jesus valued the destination, sure, but it was because he believed so strongly in his destination and in his goal that he found purpose even in seeming interruptions 
along the way on the journey. And we see this perspective in Acts 8. Again, we return into Acts chapter 8, verses 26 is where it starts. And we see it in Acts chapter 8 in the life of Philip. As he's following Christ, he's leading the church, and he has the perspective of Christ on this idea of being in the middle of nowhere. But just to give you the setting, what's happening in Acts chapter 8 before we read these verses, straight up revival. (laughs) Philip is leading a church in Samaria, and God is reaching the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on people. Healings are happening. And it says right here in Acts chapter 8 that because of all this, there was great joy in the city. So Philip is doing a pretty great job leading this revival that was being sparked through the Holy Spirit in Samaria with the Samaritans, which was a big deal at that time. So then we get to verse 26 of chapter 8. And it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk alongside the carriage. Peter ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snapped Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It's a powerful passage. You could preach a whole bunch of sermons from that passage on a whole bunch of different things. Like, I, I, I love what we see here that there's this emphasis on one-on-one evangelism. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need a platform to reach people. You just need to be ready and available when the Holy Spirit prompts you, oh, I want you to speak to this person, to step when the Holy Spirit says to step and speak when the Holy Spirit says to speak. It's not about our ability. It's are you available? It's about your availability. But I also love, like, in this one-on-one interaction, so often we talk about relational evangelism because it's important. Building relationship with people, and that relationship is the bridge that the Holy Spirit can walk over. So often in my life, people I've led to Christ, it's because I had a relationship with them. And there was a weight to that relationship where I could speak truth into their life. But this passage, this interaction is probably only 30, maybe 60 minutes long, maybe less than that. We don't know. But it's one conversation. And God is able to use that one conversation to bring salvation to this Ethiopian eunuch and transform his life. Do I have the kind of faith that Jesus can use one conversation I have with somebody and radically change their life? Do you have that kind of faith? That God can use you to to have one conversation with somebody and the Holy Spirit can use that to radically change their life. But again, that's another sermon for another day. You can look at the what, you can look at the how, you can look at the why. I want to look at the where. Because again, it's pretty much the middle of nowhere. It says at the beginning of this passage, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So an angel appears to Philip. I would like more details there. That would be my first question. Like, what was that like? And he tells him to go, and Philip goes. There's no reason that's provided, and Philip doesn't ask any questions. And I could tell you, I would have had questions. <laughs> my first question would have been, uh, now? You realize I'm leading, like, this massive revival. We're kind of killing it here, and you're asking me to go walk some desert road on a whim. But he goes. It was a divine interruption. It's kind of like when the Holy Spirit jerks the wheel. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but, like, say Walmart. You're in an aisle. You're in the express lane. But God's like, I want you to go to aisle five. And when you get to the cashier, I want you to pray for him. And you're like, I've got three items. I'm going to be out here in five minutes. I go wait in that line, it's going to be 30, right? And you begin to think of five, ten different excuses why to not be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, right? Or where? Again, it's a desert road. There's other translations that use words like desolate. One translation uses the word deserted because of this, translators believe that this road could have just been out of business, like nobody took the road anymore. Really, the middle of nowhere. Philip could have asked, here? <laughs> Doesn't even show up on my maps app. You want me to go take this road? There's eight other different ways to go from Jerusalem to Gaza that are faster, but this is where God tells him to go, and he goes. He's obedient. And I love that in verse 27, just as it says again and again about Jesus' ministry, it was, quote, while he was on his way that he runs into this eunuch. And I love to double down on this perspective. It says, the verse later, that the Ethiopian eunuch was, quote, on his way when he had this interaction with Philip. So maybe you feel like you're kind of on your way, in a season of in-between, not quite there yet, waiting on a shift, working towards a transition, between goals, between seasons, between promises, between point A and point B. Kind of in limbo, feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. I believe we have to shift our perspective about these seasons, about this idea of, man, I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere because God is eternally present in the here and the now. He's eternally present in the here and the now. If you look at the word nowhere and you put space in the middle, what do you get? Now and here. I believe we need to leave a space when we feel like we're in the middle of nowhere. Leave space for God to move. Because God, again, he's eternally present. He's not out there somewhere. He's not around the corner waiting for us. God is always here. He's always here now. He's always in the present. Meaning no matter where you are along the journey, even if it seems like the middle of nowhere, God is always up to something. God can move now. God can move here in the present. But if I think about, like, the, the track of my mind throughout the day, my mind just kind of ricochets between the past and the future, replaying stuff that's happened, looking forward towards things that are going to happen and maybe worrying or being anxious or maybe just thinking, what's that going to be like? Rarely do I settle fully in the present. I miss the now. Or think about it. How often are we, like, waiting in line or something? We pull out our phone and we're so connected to everywhere that we disconnect from here, <laughs> where we are at the moment. But if you think practically, spiritually, any which way, God, God can be encountered at no other time and no other place than the present moment. He's eternal, but I'm not. <laughs> I can only encounter God here, now, and being present, being fully present in the here and now. It's an underrated skill in the spiritual life. Perhaps it's the premier skill 
of the spiritual life because that's the only place we can truly encounter God is in the present, here and now. I don't know if you ever heard of John Frankenheimer. He was a Hollywood director. Uh, he directed some 50-plus movies. Uh, Manchurian Candidate in the 60s, that was him. But all the way up to, like, Ronin in the 90s. That came out when I was in, like, high school, right, with Robert De Niro. He directed all these movies, 50-plus. And somebody asked him once, do you ever get nervous? Because towards the end of his career as a director, he's directing these movies where it's like today, the budgets are like $100 million-plus. They're like, do you ever get nervous setting out to direct these movies? And what he said, I think, was profound. He said, the most important thing for me as a human being and as a movie director is to give undivided presence to the present. Undivided presence to the present. You know, in life, we get this restlessness, almost like when we watch movies, to, I want to move on to the action. We don't always value the pauses or the in-between. But good art and good movies and good directing, it makes us confront and find meaning in the in-between, in the now and in the here. Similarly, I once heard John Mayer, he's a great musician, great guitarist, uh, one of the best, and somebody was asking him about the licks he plays, especially in this song, uh, Gravity. It was a hit from years ago. And uh, I remember what he said because what he put an emphasis on is, is not just considering the notes that you play, but it's considering the space between the notes. And really it's the space between the notes that can make it sound so beautiful. And like, likewise, in life, when we can begin to see beauty in the space between point A and point B, between seasons and between destinations, then all of life becomes more beautiful because we're seeing more beauty in it. But so often, I know myself, maybe you're, you, we turn to God the Father and we think, man, are we there yet? That common cry from the back seat, we do it to our Heavenly Father. Are we there yet, right? But God wants us to see him more and more in the now and in the here. And in doing so, redeem the value in the middle of nowhere. And so maybe you're thinking, cool, good concept, pulling from a couple different areas. How do I apply this to my life? What does this look like for me next week? What does this look like for me walking it out? I'll give you a couple of points, and the first is, is this. we got to redeem boredom. I think we fear boredom. <laughs> we fear silence. We don't value solitude. You think about our culture, we, we value multitasking, we value hyperconnectivity. But man, you think about traveling 100 years ago, let alone thousands of years ago when Philip and his eunuch were traveling, it was quiet, there was solitude, and a whole lot of time to think. Right? This Ethiopian eunuch was in a, a chariot of some sort, so maybe there was like the clapping of the hooves and the chariot rolling. For Philip, there was less noise, right? His feet hitting the ground and his breathing and whatever's happening in nature. This was silence solitude, and reflection. Today, I got podcasts, music, and apps and distractions so that I can escape silence and so that I can, quote, you know, multitask. I'm multitasking. This is a big deal. I'm good at it, right? I don't have to embrace silence, solitude, as if it's a bad thing. And I very rarely, as Jerry Frankenheimer would say, give undivided presence to the present. You know, those road trips to Illinois as a kid, there were four kids, two adults. They weren't silent. Uh, there was a lot of music and there was a lot of conversation, but there were no iPhones, tablets, iPads, monitors. 
Man, after a couple hours, forget eight-year-old Justin. 34-year-old Justin would be like, man, I'm getting bored. <laughs> we better talk about something significant or turn on some really good music because this is a long time to be without. You know, I'm given to distraction now because it's at my fingertips. I can escape the moment and go look at what's going on somewhere else. I might say I'm bored. But you know that word boredom? It's a new word. That word boredom didn't exist until the 19th century, the middle of the 19th century. When the rich and aristocratic, they would have the funds to entertain themselves more and more. To the point where, if there wasn't entertainment, they felt entitled to it, and they're like, man, I feel bored. And the word boredom came into existence. Now you know. But why this focus on boredom? Why redeem it? Why embrace silence and solitude? Because I believe one of the biggest enemies to our faith in our lives and our culture in this time and place it isn't out to kill us, it's just out to distract us. Rarely is it a full frontal attack that you can see coming. It's just distraction from every direction. Because if the enemy can drown us in distraction, that'll drown out the voice of God. That wants to speak to us, direct us. Man, like I read this passage where it says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over there and walk beside the carriage. I want that in my life. I want it. Who else wants to hear the Holy Spirit like that? Where just the direction is crystal clear. But how often, right, we'd say yes to that, and at the same time, we're swimming in distraction, right? I don't hear God say often, go over there and pray for that cashier, because usually when I'm standing in line, I caught myself studying for this sermon in line at Starbucks, pulling out my phone, checking what notifications I had, right? Because I don't have to wait in line and just be in the moment. I can escape to whatever I can escape to at my fingertips. The theologian Henry Newman once lamented that, while being so busy running my own life, I become oblivious to the gentle movements of the Spirit of God within me, pointing me in directions quite different than my own. So God does not shout, scream, or push. The Spirit of God is soft and gentle like a small voice or a light breeze. It's in those moments of in-between, really when I'm not focusing on something on my to-do list, I'm not actively doing something at my destination, really when God's available to speak. Like think about how often like God speaks in the shower because I'm, I'm not moving, I'm there, right? Or God speaks when I'm in the car driving and I'm not listening to a podcast because I'm just there, just fully present in the present. But how often do I fill those spaces with voices, with any way to escape silence? And that flows right into the second step, not just redeeming boredom, but reclaiming our focus. You know, we come to realize quickly that sustained focus on the present is borderline a psychological impossibility. Like, I, I've recently been trying to just take, like, two-minute pauses or put, like, five minutes on my phone as a timer, put it away and just sit in silence and just be with God. It's good, but it ain't easy. <laughs> Within, like, 30 seconds, again, my, my mind is playing back something that happened earlier that day or thinking, wonder what we're going to have for dinner, right? Just anything but the present. It's so hard to focus on the present and simply be with God. But, you know, Jesus would often retreat to silence. It says in the Gospels that he retreated to, quote, lonely places, you know, quiet places where he could escape from distraction, escape from the noise to simply be with God. You know, one of the prayers I pray over and over again when I am in my quiet time is, is from Psalm 51 where David prays, create in me a pure heart. Jesus highlights this importance in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But as much as I pray for a pure heart, I've also started praying, man, give me a pure mind. 
because as much as I, I don't want uncleanliness in my heart, I want my mind to remain uncluttered. It's so easy. I, I forget who said it, but he said, busyness is the enemy of clarity. And so often in life, I fill up this space and that space, and I go from this to that, and my mind just becomes cluttered. And really, when I take those moments to just say, all right, putting everything aside, I'm just going to be here in silence. It's like organizing my brain. It's like taking that uncluttered or the clutter and finding clarity again. But again, how quickly when I'm driving, I throw on a podcast all the time just to escape the silence. And I think I'm multitasking, right? (laughs) I'm being connected to different things at the same time. I'm knocking out multiple things at the same time. And again, those are the virtues of our age, multitasking, being connected in all these different ways. We don't put an emphasis on solitude. We don't put an emphasis on meditation. But as we embrace hyperactivity or hyperconnectivity more and more, we begin to forfeit clarity for cloudiness. And we miss the promptings and purpose of each moment. But that's not the only tactic of the enemy. Yeah, he sometimes uses distraction, but I believe he also uses uh, dissatisfaction. You know, Monday's typically my day off. It's kind of like the universal pastor's day off. And uh, that has become dad day. Uh, Steph, you know, she needs a break. She can take a nap. She can go drive to Starbucks for hours on end. It doesn't matter because that's dad day. I'm going to spend it with Raj. I love Mondays. Usually we try to go to the zoo, the beach, the pool, the mall, because he just loves to tear around and walk around, whatever. We get out. We go places. We make memories. That's dad day. I love dad day. This past Monday, straight rain all day, right? Barely left the house. He was going stir crazy. I was going stir crazy. But for me, that wasn't a waste of a day. I still got everything I wanted out of it. I got to spend my entire day with my son, which for me is awesome. I love that. I waited 33 years to have a son. I get to spend a day with him. I cherish that. But do we ever think that, man, our Heavenly Father has the same perspective? That he just wants to be with us? Doesn't matter how many highlights the day had or what we feel were mountaintop moments. He just cherishes being with us in it. Because the reality is, it doesn't take long in life to realize this, every day is not a 10. (laughs) Every time you spend in scripture and prayer, every time you spend in quiet time, it's not a 10 out of 10. Every church service, you don't leave going, man, that was the greatest service of all time. The reality is every day, every moment doesn't always come with a trophy photo or something we can put on our highlight reel, but that's okay. God is just as present in the present, the now and the here, then as he is those moments where we feel really worked up. When it feels like nowhere, when it feels like nothing, God still cherishes being with us. I think sometimes we can buy into the lie that just because a a day seemed void of highlights, that it was void of value and meaning. But man, God cherishes any day we spend time with him. He cherishes that, truly does. But when we buy into that that lie, we can undermine just our ability to find joy in the ordinary your average day, right? And and I believe we need to recapture contentment in all seasons. And let's be serious. Let's look at the average day. Let's just even look at the reality that most days I'm driving down the highway at 65 miles per hour in a vehicle where somebody, again, Philip from thousands of years ago would be like, that is awesome, right? We lose sight of that because we get it every single day. Forget cars. Say you just stand in the same place all day. We're on a planet that rotates at 1,000 miles per hour. (laughs) We're traveling roughly 67,000 miles per hour around the sun, and every day, regardless of whether you move or not, you've gone 1.3 million miles in rotation around the sun. 
That's pretty stinking cool when you think about it, right? When you begin to reflect and shift perspective, you realize that, you know, the sun rising every morning as we go in orbit, and as we rotate, all these things, like, that's not just monotony, day, daily monotony. That's like an encore because this is pretty stinking cool. <laughs> when you can shift perspective, you begin to recapture contentment because you realize God is good regardless of season, and he's with me now, and he's with me here, and there's this ability to enjoy the ordinary again. You know, the perspective we can't forget about Acts chapter 8 is so often in Scripture, we talk about it all the time. We picture ourselves as the Philip. We picture ourselves as the hero. Often we're the Ethiopian eunuch. He's the other character that was, quote, on his way in Acts chapter 8. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we feel isolated. We're looking for answers. We're confused. We're desperate to find meaning. And God sent this revival starter and this pastor to sow into the one. You know, God loves crowds. God loves moves of his spirit that impact hundreds and thousands of people. God loves revivals, but God also loves the one. He loves the individual. He loves you. Right? Just as there was this revival in Samaria, he sends Philip from that to go intersect this one person. You know, we, we read the parable about the, the, the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. This is a real-life instance where Philip, the shepherd of this church of probably way more than 99, probably hundreds if not thousands, is sent for the one. God loves the one. Yes, he wants to see all saved and none perished, but to get there, he reaches individuals. He knows you by name. Knows the number of hairs on your head. Knows your every concern. Knows when you're confused, looking for meaning like the Ethiopian eunuch. And I love that you look at Acts chapter 8, just as much space is given to this one-on-one encounter as the entire revival in Samaria. That huge revival gets just as much space as this one-on-one encounter. And it's again because we see, yes, Jesus came. He knew his purpose was to die for the world, but he also did it for me. He also did it for you and each one of us. That speaks to his love for me and you and each one of us. That he would have died just for you. And if you can live with this reality of the unchanging love of God for you, whether you feel like you're on a mountaintop, whether you feel like you're in a valley, or you're straight up in the middle of nowhere waiting, that God's love is still steady and sustains you in every season, then, man, you can begin to recapture contentment. And then lastly, but importantly, I believe if, if you walk in these steps, you'll recover your compassion because you'll begin to realize that it's bigger than you. You know what Philip learned in this passage is what we need to learn, that sometimes when it feels like God is sending you into obscurity, it's really an opportunity to reach someone you wouldn't have reached otherwise. Who would have reached this Ethiopian eunuch if Philip wasn't obedient or made excuses or didn't go when the Spirit told him to go? This whole detour, desert detour, was so he could reach this one man. You know, Jesus... He lived mindful when he was on his way, right? And it wasn't so he could find quarters in the parking lot or see random birds when he's walking along paths. It was so he could see the flesh and blood around him, hear their cries, see their needs, and move in compassion. It's one thing to see the need, right? It's another thing to act on it. That's compassion. And Jesus walked in compassion. But, you know, in our deluge of personal tasks and to-do lists, we can sometimes become less aware of those opportunities around us, especially when you factor in the constant buzz of notifications in my pocket and we become flooded. Again, I stand in line at Starbucks and do a skateboard and I pull my phone out, right? We're at our kid's soccer game and we wouldn't tell them this, but to escape boredom, we pull our phone out. Or, or you think even just driving 
unfortunately, a lot of people pull their phone out, right? Because we want to escape the in-between. And what does all this scream? Just a lack of awareness of the flesh and blood that we pass every day on our way from point A to point B. As Jesus walked on his way, we have so many moments every day when we're on our way. And we can't be blind to the opportunities we have around us. And they're rarely big, rarely emergencies. They don't come with flashing lights or sirens. A lot of times they're, they're small opportunities to just show love, God's love. We're often surrounded by small opportunities that God can use in big ways. And small opportunities, those are a big deal to God. I think often in life we want, we want the big opportunities. But I tell you, man, sometimes God uses what seems mundane to see if he can trust you with the meaningful. He'll use what seems mundane because really everything is meaningful to him to see if he can trust us with what we would see as the big opportunities, right? So be faithful in the small things, the insignificant things, holding that door open for somebody saying, God bless you, whatever it might be, because in God's eyes, nothing is meaningless. Something as small as a smile and and a, a short conversation, an act of service, a word of encouragement, honoring that person. Even when it's unseen, God sees it, and God can use it. But even just looking at the time we have left, two big take-homes, two big take-homes for this, to not neglecting the middle of nowhere. Maybe the first is just what we're talking about, about the little opportunities day by day that sometimes we overlook because we're not giving us ourselves to the present. Those whispers of the Holy Spirit maybe we don't hear because we're caught up in getting to our destination. Those flesh and blood interactions that get lost as we multitask or we're, quote, on our way. You know, I love the song Holy Spirit. Probably retire it soon because it's been around for years, right? But the bridge, let us become more aware of your presence. That should be our prayer every day. Let us become more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, let us become more aware of your promptings. Let us become more aware of where you would direct us. And, man, if you make that your prayer, that you become more aware of the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you'll notice the people around you and their needs more and more because that's where the Holy Spirit takes us. So often talk about, man, I want to I have a, a, an encounter with Jesus. You want to meet Jesus? Go where Jesus was when he was flesh and blood. He was with the people that were sick and needed him. Let the Spirit lead you there. You'll have an encounter with Jesus. But maybe for others of us, it's not so much about little moments, little opportunities. It just feels like you're in a big season of life where you're in between. Seems like you're in limbo, again, waiting on some promise waiting on a transition, waiting on something to change. You're just waiting to get there, whatever there is for you. And we can wrestle with waves of discontentment and ask God, man, are we there yet? Like, let me just be practical. Like, Steph's waiting on brain surgery. We're waiting as a family on brain surgery. That, that's a pretty heavy thing that we don't really know where it is on the calendar. We just know it's on the horizon. And we can get so caught up. You know, focusing on that. What's the next six months going to look like? What, what's it going to look like six weeks from now, two months from now? That sometimes we look at each other and we're like, you know, God wants to use right now. Like, let's not get so focused on the horizon that we forget, man, today God's got something special for us. Even in the midst of her pain, waiting on surgery. That's just practice. That's what it looks like for us. I don't know what it looks like for you. But if you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere right now, kind of waiting on point B, waiting on something that you've got your heart set on, Know that you're in good company. God is a God of desert communion. Like you just go through scripture. You look at Jacob. 
Jacob is running through Esau in the middle of the wilderness, this desert road. He's desperate to get away, and it's while he's out seemingly in the middle of nowhere that God meets with him and wrestles with him, and Jacob demands this blessing. You look at Moses. It's when he was, had fled from Egypt, spent years being a shepherd out in the, the deserts of Sinai, these backwoods, when, when God encounters him in the burning bush. Look at John the Baptist who, like Philip, was called out into the desert, but John the Baptist was there for a long time. But eventually Jesus came. He baptized Jesus. That's pretty cool, (laughs) right? But Jesus came to meet him. Again and again, seemingly far from the action, seemingly in the middle of nowhere, God seemingly wasn't showing up, but it was all a setup for him to move in the middle of nowhere, to move now, to move here, to move in the present. And again, maybe we feel the itch, like, are we there yet? Can we get there? Can I just... Fast forward. <laughs> I, I'm guilty of it, but the phrase, I can't wait. Can't wait till it's the fall. Can't wait till Raj can talk. And then you're like, no, actually, I can. Because I know God's got something for today. He's got something for right now. May we remember that the space in the middle of nowhere may be exactly where God wants to move. That'll transform your life. That'll transform your mundane Mondays. It'll transform your Tuesdays. It'll rewire your Wednesdays. It'll change your week. It'll change your month. It'll change your life. Like Jesus May we resolutely set out for our destinations in life, but may we recognize that along the way, God is always present now. God is always present here. That means God can always move. If we'll have an ear to hear, eyes to see the opportunities, and just an availability to step out when the Holy Spirit tells us to. If I could have the worship team come up. I was watching a movie recently, and uh, they were about to cross the border in New Mexico, get to point B, pick up a hostage, and then drive back with a hostage, right? Simple mission, whatever. But as they're preparing for the mission, the the guy who's preparing them tells them to be mindful while they're on the way. And he says to them, he says, be alert, be vigilant, and be aware. And, you know, we see similar calls in Scripture to be aware at all times, whether we're on our way from point A to point B or, or whatever, because it's about the temptation and snares of the world, right? Again, distraction, dissatisfaction, right? The, the, the ploys of the enemy. But we also need to open our eyes because God is ready to move now and here. It's not always about the negative. It's not always about temptations because God wants to move, right? God sees opportunities for him to move through us. So may we not just look for God in the destination or over the, over the horizon, May we be expectant when we feel like we're on a a desert detour. May we give undivided presence to the present. May we master the spiritual discipline of being present and recognize that really it's in the present where God can meet with us, (laughs) where God can move through us, even when it feels like it's the middle of nowhere. Dear God, I pray for each person here. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even right now in this service, God, as we're about to transition into worship, God, that you would prick our hearts, shift our perspective, whether it's something little like, I know myself, I need to be more aware of your presence, not just your presence, but your promptings every day. When I'm working in Starbucks, when I'm driving to and from Newport News, and I've got this to-do list, and I get so caught up in checking those boxes off and getting to destinations, God, I pray that you would give us the mind of Christ that sees value when we're quote-unquote on our way. 
Give us the eyes of Christ to recognize the flesh and blood around us and, and see needs. And God, give us just willing hearts. God, when your spirit prompts us to make those steps, have those conversations, be that Philip to that eunuch, Lord God, because we know that you put this church here for a reason. God, there's people all around us every day that even if they don't have physical needs that we can see, they have spiritual needs because they need you. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be people, God, that, that hold the gospel close to our chest and hold the hope you give us close to our chest, Lord God. I pray that it would fill us up to the point where it overflows, Lord God. That it would be a, a fire in our bones that we can't contain, as Jeremiah would say. But God, I pray as we go into worship tonight that your spirit will continue to speak to us. Open our eyes, God. God, I know we're talking about the present, but open our eyes to, to this week and those many opportunities we're going to have to be a light, to be salt, to be used. And God, I pray that if we feel like, man, we're in the, the middle of nowhere in terms of a season of life where we're waiting for a shift, waiting for that transition, God, that you would meet us here. Remind us that even when we're sitting in a waiting room, we don't know when that door is going to open, that you sit in that waiting room with us. You're with us there. You're with us now. You're with us here. And God, as we come into worship tonight, God, I pray that your presence will be here in the present. Let's stand. Chris is going to lead us in worship as we close. But Jesus, I pray that we would take this time and engage you in your spirit. God, ask. Ask for more. God, we, we ask for more of your spirit, Lord God. Fill us in this place as we worship.